Hello everyone, my name is Joshua Gilliland, attorney blogger for Bowtie Law and on the Legal Geeks. And with me today is my friend Chris Trollstrom from Shepherd Data in Minneapolis. And we're going to talk about te technology-assisted review and specifically about predictive coding. Chris, how are you doing? Great, how are you, Josh? I am wonderful. It's 85 degrees, it feels like summer, all is well in the universe. We actually have sun here today, too, believe it or not. It's the first day in seven days. It's a glorious thing. So, when I think tar, I think Lilibrea tar pits. But we're not here to discuss Lucy and, <laughs> and, and Wooly Mammoths. Let, let's talk about technology-assisted review. What does that mean to you? Well, I think TAR is just um, the set of tools that you use to handle your data. I think you can include a lot of different things within what's called TAR. Um, it simply could be like relativity or summation, concurrence, you know, just the simple review platforms. But it also could evolve to something where you'd be using things like concept clustering, maybe near duplicate analysis. Um, currently, a lot of people are applying technology-assisted review definition to that computer process where you have algorithms which help you rank documents by relevance. But I really think it should be a, a broader definition. It's basically any computer program that helps you to review documents. And I agree with that. And I mean, when we look at De Silva Moore and the original you know, use of the term CAR for computer-assisted review, we, we've had TAR for over 20 years now and how people attack a, a review set. So let's define predictive coding, which is, well, we both remember Karnak the Magnificent and determining what's relevant. <laughs> uh, but how do you explain predictive coding to your attorney clients? Well, predictive coding really focuses in on the iterative process used by several programs to help you rank documents. Um, generally, we see it as there's like four steps to the process. Um, in your document collection, you first collect everything that would be in your universe, and then you would weed out anything that would be extraneous, such as you know duplicates, du duplicates, executables, things like that. You might narrow your document universe down by broad keyword searches. So once you've done that, what you can do is you can load this set of documents into a program. And the program will actually help you generate some sample sets to review. Now, that sample set creation has some controversy about it because there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. Yeah. The attorneys can actually give programs like predefined sample sets. And it, you know, I kind of have some issues with that because I feel that kind of skews it and it doesn't give you as good of a sampling process. So then alternatively, what you could do is you can actually have the program determine sample sets. And it will actually go through the collection and start pulling little sets for the team to review. Now, and then once you get that a sample set, you really want to have the attorneys or the attorney that's in the know to start working with the program. So what will happen is the attorney will get a little set of documents. Usually it's in sets of like 200 documents or so. And they'll start going through it and to determine relevance. And then um, after that's done, you send it back to the program. It will look at those sets. And then it will give you another sample. So it's an iterative process. 
constantly going back and forth between the key reviewers and the program. And that will happen, you know, sometimes it takes quite a bit, but it will happen until the program reaches a stability level. And then once it gets to that stability level, the program goes through the entire collection and it calculates relevance scores for each document. And then after that, you know, you can decide what you want to do with those documents. Lots of times what we do with our clients is the internal law firm attorneys might review those highly ranked relevant documents. And then those for lower ranked documents, they may not review them at all. Or maybe what they do is outsource those and have some kind of an outsource review provider take a look at those. So that's how I see predictive coding. I, I, similar view. I, my only difference in how I would approach it in advising someone the use of it is to break it down by causes of action or defenses. Yeah. And so that way if we know that there's a breach of contract or in, in bundled with that breach of fiduciary duty, being able to work with the jury instructions and putting together what I want to prove to, you know, so that way we have the categories you know, being formed with here's everything responsive to the breach of contract uh, claims, here's everything you know, responsive uh, to the breach of fiduciary duty. So that way, because the case is about causes of action, and I would try leveraging the technology to meet the causes of action, or if I'm the defense, that would meet my defenses that I, I am pro-offering. Yeah, I agree. But there's more cool toys out there that we can play with, uh, with advanced analytics that also funder, fall under the title of you know, technology-assisted review. Uh, what, what have you seen? Because I love visual analytics, being able to see all the email <laughs> communications, and, and that's an awesome way to identify custodians and date ranges. Uh, what else have you seen and, and put to use? Well, I've actually used quite a bit concept clustering, and this mm -hmm. is where similarly conceptually related documents are grouped together. For example, you know, like for the concept of sports, you know, instead of just, you know, focusing on the keywords of sports, you could have a wide variety of documents that would be related to that concept, such as baseball, football, and, you know, golf. It could also include documents discussing like the Vikings or the Red Sox. So it's a way of kind of broadly thinking about the documents, but then being able to group them together by these key concepts. You know, and then there's some really cool things that I've seen that NUX has done with some of the graphic analytics. Those are just really, really cool. Um, they've done some really creative things with showing you relationships between the custodians. Um, you know, where there's some critical dates. Also, there's some really nice graphics on custodian data use. So I'm very impressed when I'm seeing that, what's coming out of NUX. Yeah, they, they've done some great work. Uh, there, are, there are other ones. The, the folks that I connect with, Xera, have done some impressive visual analytics as well as with the uh, re, uh, custodial relationships uh, and that, that are just cool. And a lot of the products have done some very impressive things. And, you know, all of them are developing these, these features to make finding the smoking gun easier. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Relativity Fest this, this fall, too, because they've done some nice things with pivot tables. So mm -hmm. I have a feeling they're just going to continue to expand upon that, too. 
there's supposed to be a big release in the fall, so I'm excited to see that. Cool. Well, types of cases matter, you know, and there, there, there are those who will believe that there's like a litmus test on when to use these tools, you know, how big the case has to be, when it's not cost effective to do it because the case is small. Uh, in your opinion, what size case works the best for technology-assisted review? Well, it's generally, I think, cases over 100,000 documents work best. Um, also, you know, you don't want to just look at the volume of the case either. You really need those documents that are rich in text. So, mm -hmm. for example, if you get documents that are basically Excel-based or just all numbers, it's just not going to work because there's really nothing for it to categorize or do concept analysis on. You know, and obviously if you have a whole bunch of handwritten documents, that's not necessarily going to help. Or perhaps you have just bad OCR documents. That might be yeah. some, that could be problematic as well. So you need to talk, you know, take a look at not only the size of the case, but also the quality of the documents. Mm -hmm. Now, if the case is not big enough for, you know, TAR, what can they do? Oh, there's still the other tools available. I mean, we use almost on all our cases um, near-duplicate analysis. Yeah. And what that does is essentially group documents together by how similar they are. And that's, now that's different than concept searching. That's actually taking a look at the text and then doing kind of a um, comparison of the text on how similar they are. So we use that in almost every case that we have now. Um, also, the email threading, that's always mm -hmm. nice to use. Um, that will actually show, show you, you know, the sets of documents, and it will show you the most inclusive email at the end of the email string. So that's always helpful. You know, and then just simply using a document database. Um, I can't believe for today that there's anyone out there that's not using document databases. I think it would be very difficult to practice law without some kind of document database behind it. That and there are affordable cloud ones oh, that exactly. you know that attorneys uh, you know like Nextpoint uh, there you know has has great pricing for for folks like that and so I mean there the solutions exist. Um, also, Nuix has Proofinder, which is a nice analytic tool that's you know I think in the range of a hundred dollars uh, that a lawyer could use on on the smaller set. Uh, if they can't afford a service provider. Right, but, exactly. But, but I really believe cost has has come down for a lot of these tools that make it affordable for, for a lot of folks. Um, I'm a big fan of anyone who's a product manager should go and watch the case management calendar at the local state courthouse and think, do my tools the product that we make help the litigants in this courthouse. And maybe they're not supposed to. Maybe they're designed for the, you know, mega litigation, and that's fine. We need, we need specific tools for that. But the, the, the majority of litigation in this country, over 90% is in state court. It's always good to have products that can help those litigants because they are over 90% of the litigants in the United States. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, I've been really encouraged by the, 
I love the software explosion that's happening now. Mm -hmm. You remember a few years ago, well, not so few years ago now, I guess, but 10, 10 years ago, there was just basically two providers out there, maybe three, and now it's, there's a plethora of options, and I think that is fabulous. So I'm really, I think it's, it's a good thing. So it gives you a lot more options, a lot more insight on different things that you can do. Well, competition's good. Yes. And there are those who can develop tools for specific market segments. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are dealing with the AMLAW 10 that are dealing with monster litigation, that takes a very specific tool set. If you're developing tools for the solos to small firms, that's a very different tool set. And they're all needed because there are people in legal jeopardy that need help. Yes. So... Well, let's talk about actually using these tools in the practice of law because I think that's one of the big issues out there is we talk about the tools and how awesome they are because they are groovy, but let's actually apply it to the practice. If you had, say, a mid-sized firm come, come to you and a case that had three custodians, about 30 gigabytes uh, before it, you know, post-collection, before processing. Uh, what technology would you use to attack the set? And let's say it is a breach of contract and trade secret case, so we know there's going to be lots of email. Well, first what you need to do is you need to do um, weed out um, duplicate documents, or at least track where all the duplicate documents are and then also anything that wouldn't be content rich. So that would be like executables, um, you know, those standard things that you need to get out of a document collection. So you can essentially, uh, the process call is called denisting. So it's basically removing anything that's a program file or anything like that from the collection. So that's the first thing that we do. Then what we also do is we often index those documents. And indexing kind of gives you a transparency of the documents. And it does open it up for basic keyword searches. Um, I'm not totally against keyword searches. Um, I think that sometimes you have to use it to kind of do a broad swath against the, the document collection. But I wouldn't totally rely upon them. Um, it really depends on your case. If the if the attorneys don't really have an idea or they don't really, they're starting to get to understand their documents, you might want to consider using um, assisted review at that point. You might want to do predictive coding at that point and process a larger collection there. You know, it really depends. I, we would have to talk to them. Um, you know, sometimes keyword searching doesn't catch relevant documents because the parties in the case could possibly be using different terminology or even code words that the attorneys don't even know about. So you have to be kind of, we kind of balance that. We usually have a conversation with our attorneys about that. Um, then the next thing what we do is we determine after all the processing and taking documents out how much volume we have. So then we're going to go ahead and test that out and see if there's 100,000 documents or not. And if there is, then we have a serious conversation about concept clustering as well as um, predictive coding. Um, you know, I'm just not thrilled about the old model of eyes on every document model. Um, I think it's too expensive and it takes too long. It takes too long for large cases. 
And the way you describe this case, this, this model case that you just talked about, um, it is, sounds like it's pretty rich. It sounds like it's text rich. It's good emails. So you could actually apply, you know, the concept analysis on this the, and as well as the predictive coding. Um, I definitely would do um, uh, near duplicate analysis. Um, so you can identify those groups of documents that are similar as well as email threading on it. And then, of course, I would promote relativity or summation to review those documents. Both good choices. So, well, looking at that, and you actually you know, did talk about a bunch of the tools that could be used and, more importantly, the strategies to go about it. And a lot of that does help with the data reduction. Well, let's take it down to some of the, the code requirements that we have. If we're the plaintiffs, we have to prove causes of action. And so how would you, you know, start identifying electronically stored information that would go to your initial disclosures that would support your, your claims uh, against the, the hypothetical defendants? Well, you could do it in a couple of ways. Um, of course, it really depends on how quickly you need to do this and where you're at with it. You might have to rely upon um, pure um, predictive review um, to help you get to those issues. Um, you know, if you just simply have a really nicely defined database, that's going to help you weed things out and identify things. You could also use things like pivots, and you can actually um, kind of narrow it down by a reporting feature depending on what kind of review platform you're using. Mm -hmm. How about identifying custodians? Well, you could do that a couple of ways. Um, you could do it by the metadata that's extracted out. Um, you could actually use tools such as NUX to help you look at the custodian information. Mm -hmm. uh, t and same with like time frame of the lawsuit, and there's metadata. I also think this is where any of the products with visual analytics is, you know, very effective. Mm -hmm. Being able to see the communication patterns, you know, when were the smoking guns being created? Because if we can see communication spikes, that starts identifying, you know, the, the relevant time frames that need to be analyzed. What would you advise someone to use when they're getting ready for the meet and confer and the litany of topics that need to be discussed at the meet and confer? Well, I think actually, I think assisted review would help you do that um, mm -hmm. because you can actually, you know, start working with that, and it's going to bring to the forefront those most relevant documents, and you could actually start doing some a review of those documents and have them ready for the meet and confer. Yeah. And we survived the meet and confer. We survived the 16B conference. And now we're off to the wonderful world, the discovery review. So we can start exchanging information. Uh, you know, we, we have the, the standard bearers that are very helpful. But how would you actually advise them to use the products in review? Because this is where people can start attacking review like they're still going through boxes of paper and ignoring the fact that you can zero in on date ranges, you can look at specific custodians, you can assign custodians to people to review. Uh, you know, there, there are a bunch of you know, cool things that could be done to you know, either track efficiency in review or even um, you know, make it more effective you know, because of good old-fashioned search or 
uh, being able to to leverage predictive coding right. to get the job done. Well, especially in this case that you're talking about with the email, I definitely would do the review by email threads. I mean, it wouldn't make sense to do it any other way because if you did a traditional linear review, that you would miss so much document, so many documents, and you'd have so many inconsistencies in your review. So, email threading definitely would need to be used in the review. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Now, we've talked a lot about good old-fashioned review and actually getting to the point of review and then produce to the other side. Uh, but what is the, you know, the benefit overall of using technology-assisted review and litigation? Well, it really allows the attorneys to leverage technology to reduce the review costs. And it's a fraction of the linear review costs. And it's much tr quicker than traditional review. You know, it's, you're going to be able to get through a massive amount of documents much faster. And studies have even shown it's even more accurate. Agreed. So final question, and, you know, we're now in, in the, you know, May is ending, summer's beginning. What did you think of the new Star Trek movie? <gasps> it was so great. And it was a really nicely homage to the old Star Treks, too. There were so many references to, um, you know, the older movies and actually even the series. It was just great. I loved it. Well, that, that and the reference to Section 31, which was one of the big things in Deep Space Nine uh, that with, with Bashir and O'Brien. So that was a nice homage as well. Yeah. And we had the model, the NX-01 uh, on... Admiral Marcus's desk, yeah. so that was also Ooh, nice. good pick up on all the both so, of those. Good. Well, you know, I am a geek. <laughs> and, for, and, and again, for the record, there were e-discovery issues in there as well because the uh, who Khan uh, used to blow up Section 31 did send an email prior to blowing up, you know, the, the building. <laughs> so we do get computer forensics in that way, and Scotty does computer forensics on the uh, transwarp teleporter to find out where Khan beamed to. So we, we do have, there are some wonderful ESI issues that we could have explored further. I wonder what the software, uh, so JJ, what will the software look like then? <laughs> it probably would be uh, handheld in a cloud interface or cloud you know, you interface through through a tricorder, and there probably would be, uh, you know, a cloud backing to it, or it could be super powerful and fit on what would be the size of a thumbnail. Yeah, or probably uh, have, so. all the graphic charts too that you can actually turn with your hands. Wouldn't that be cool? That's actually kind of available now. Yeah, it's uh, not quite there yet. I mean, when you watch, uh, it's like the the season finale of Castle had some computer forensics taking place where it's being projected up on the wall. It's like, you know, that's not quite yeah. how it works right now. No, not quite. It's not quite that not quite that cool. Well awesome. Chris, I, I look forward to visiting later this summer and having a rip roaring good time and, and with all the folks at Shepherd. And thanks so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise on each Great. Thank you so much uh, Josh. It's been a pleasant experience. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha